generations to come. And welcome to 2023 in the first edition of the TDN Writers Room in the new year. My name is Bill Finley and I am the host today of the TDN Writers Room. And guess what? It's my birthday. You only turned 41 once. Congratulations, 41. Yeah, I'm Randy Moss, NBC Sports and Buyer Speed Figures. I'm Zoe Cabman with XBTV and Fast Racing and Bill. Wishing you a very happy birthday. I, I was going to sing and surprise you, but you, you beat us all to it. You really did. You just threw yourself under the bus. Okay. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you. And I'm glad. Thank you. No comments on the 41 um, fabrication For that sure. I just lied to everybody about. So, But, but we'll, we'll keep this little secret between uh, all of us. So we haven't been on for a couple of weeks. Uh, we took our little annual Christmas break. So what's been happening on the racetrack? Well, quite a lot. But I thought that the biggest story was the run Happy Malibu on a phenomenal day of racing at San Anita, the 41,000 people, all the big stakes races. Frankie DeTore, who we're going to hear from later, as he is the Green Group guest of the week and a really good interview, wins on country grammar. But the, it wasn't just to me that Taba won the race. It was what it means for the Eclipse Awards. And, and I think the three of us um, should uh, issue a mea culpa because right after the Breeders' Cup, we started throwing out our Eclipse Award picks. And, you know, we I'm, I'm, I think we all said epicenter. We all said warlike goddess. We jumped the gun. We, we you know, we, we didn't realize or we didn't take into account that there were some good races yet to come. So Taba wins the, the race, the Run Happy Malibu. I have already been in print in the Thoroughbred Daily News saying I'm voting for Taba for the three year old championship. And there's, you know, there's no one factor that goes into this, but there is a factor I cannot overlook in that table won three grade one races and Epicenter won one. If the score was maybe two to one, I think I probably still would have gone with Epicenter. But I always consider the grade one races, the grade one victories, the single most important component of my Eclipse Award votes. It's how we keep score in this game. Graded stakes wins and the gold standard, of course, of graded stakes wins are grade one races. Randy, am I right about this or am I off base? Well, I mean, look, I'm I'm a fan of Taba. I love Taba. I think he's a really cool horse and all that. I prefer to look at grade ones a bit more holistically. Uh, look, you've got grade ones, Santa Anita Derby and the Arkansas Derby and the Pacific Classic that three-year-olds often run in and then the Pennsylvania Derby and the Haskell. But the way I look at it in my voting, especially for three-year-old champion, not all grade ones are the same. I give much more credit to outcomes of the Kentucky Derby, Preakness, Belmont, and Breeders' Cup Classic, and I give more weight to the Travers than most of the other grade one races that three-year-olds run in. Epicenter ran a strong second in the Kentucky Derby. He ran an even stronger second in the Preakness. I think if they ran that race 10 times, he'd win the majority of them. Uh, And he was a dominant winner in the Travers. He also won the Jim Dandy in between and looked pretty good winning that. Now, you can't count the Breeders' Cup Classic against him because he was injured during the race. And, oh, by the way, Taba was in the Kentucky Derby as well, and Epicenter defeated Taba soundly. So whereas I, I couldn't tell you, Bill, for example, oh, you're wrong in voting for Taba, I prefer to look at those races I pointed out as having more credit. And so I voted for Epicenter first and Taba second. And I'm right with you. Um, I did the same thing as Randy, Epicenter. I am in full agreement we lost Bill. He doesn't want to hear us anymore. He left the room. (laughs) I'm in in full agreement that the voting should not take place until January 1st. Nobody should even get a ballot before then. And then, like, leave it till the 7th. Have seven days to vote if you want to. What's the hurry? I, I don't really get it. Um, I've been on Epicenter the whole way through. Tabor did not change my mind. And I'm looking at the whole body of work and all of the horses that Epicenter beat. Like Randy said, the races he ran in, the amount of horses he beat. Tabor's faced some shorter fields than Epicenter if you consider the Kentucky Derby in which he beat Tabor. So for me, it's all about Epicenter and the body of work. And he won the Louisiana Derby as well. So Epicenter for me and Tabor second. Now, if you take out the personal equation and you leave it to the computers, which I don't know, maybe one day they're going to do that, then it's going to be Epicenter on the body of work, the three grade ones specifically. But I think you really have to look behind the lines. 
Yeah, I mean, this is not one of those divisions where I'm going to tell you you're just wrong and throw up my hands. And I, I think so. We've got two epicenters in one team, and I think you guys both feel the same way about my selection. But so you brought up another good point, and, and I wanted to bring this up. Um, why are the ballots sent out on December 12th? And could you imagine, uh, Randy, you're an NFL guy. Could you imagine the uh, the football writers voting for the most valuable player 15 after the 15th game of the season? Well, you know, this is one of these silly horse racing things that make no sense whatsoever. Now, will it cost Haber? Probably not. But you never know. It's going to be really close. And there are people who will have voted before the Malibu was run. Just like Zoe said, you know, don't let anybody vote until January 1st. Now, they close the voting now on January 3rd. Um, you would have to extend it a little bit. But the, why are they in such a hurry? I, I don't really get that. And look, you know, if Table loses by one vote and, you know, 20 people voted before the Malibu, you got to say, hey, maybe, you know, he was really jobbed here. Yeah, every year, uh, for those who aren't aware, every year in mid-December, the voters for Eclipse Awards receive one of these. It's a, it's a handy-dandy publication from the Daily Racing Forum. It contains all the past performances of all the leading contenders in all the different divisions. It includes rankings, earnings, grade one wins for jockeys, trainers, owners, breeders. Uh, but again, it's printed in mid-December. It doesn't include, there you go. So it, it doesn't include the later part of the month. Now, they do say down below in the fine print, while you may begin voting now, it is strongly encouraged that you consider waiting to vote until the conclusion of the grade one racing conducted at the end of this month, which includes the Malibu, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so at least they referenced that. But I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I don't think these should even be, what's the rush? I mean, I don't think they should even be mailed out until the end of the year when all of the races are included in the past performances. And this year, it's not just Taba and the Malibu. Uh, for example, uh, in the Philly and Mare Turf Division, uh, there are some people I've seen who are who have casted a vote for in Italian as the uh, as the female turf champion. Well, Regal Glory in Italian stablemate, uh, and they split one to one in head to head meetings. Regal Glory had a huge win in the Matriarch in early December in California, the last start of her career. So that race wasn't really considered, perhaps, by some of the some, some of the voters as well, even though that was in the past performances. Uh, yeah, I don't think it still gets as much credit as it should being post Breeders' Cup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are through December the fourth, so I mean that can just go out the window. They're useless, absolutely useless. You know what I think the problem is, and, and if I'm wrong, I apologize because I don't know this for a fact. But I think the rush is they want to sell tickets to the Eclipse Award banquet. And, you know, they need to get all their things and all their ducks in a row to do that. And, uh, you know, it's a money maker and a revenue maker for them. But, you know, the, the bottom line is let's get it right. And I don't think any sensible person can argue that sending out the ballot in on December. Uh, I got an email notification on December 12th, which which came um, before the, the thing that came in the, in the, in the mail. But uh, I don't think anybody can argue. OK, so Randy and Zoe, are there any other Eclipse races that you think are a toss of a coin a little bit. Randy, you mentioned Philly and Mayor uh, Turf. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people voting. You know, people are now posting their ballots on online and on social media and Twitter. And I, I'm seeing a lot of um, in Italians. Um, I don't see anybody voting for our, our horse, more like Goddess, who the three of us uh, threw our support uh, behind after the Breeders' Cup. Um, but I think Regal Glory, you know, isn't necessarily a no-brainer. But but then again, it is the right pick. Is, um, you know, look what she accomplished this year. She wins three grade ones, plus the Pegasus World Cup turf. Uh, and, and as Randy mentioned, one of the grade ones was after, you know, the, these ballots were printed up. But uh, any, any Zoe, so we know Randy's on Regal I'm Glory. I'm on Regal Glory. I think myself and Randy's ballots may be the same. I, I've got one question. Apprentice Jockey, uh, Del Cid Vicente. Nobody's really ever heard of him, but he's almost the winningest jockey in North America. I mean, he's got, I think he had like 120 more wins than the next apprentice. I voted for him. He did most of his work down in Delta. He actually got hurt on November the 29th. Uh, he was went down in a spill and suffered an array of facial fractures. So he's still not back riding yet. His bug actually ran out on November the 13th. He did, however, have a six-win day at Delta as an apprentice. Yes, I, I know it's Delta Downs, but the fact that he won almost 120 more races than his closest pursuer made me vote for him. Okay. 
Zoe, you got that one right. Um, I actually, because they're a sponsor of our radio show, uh, uh, the Down the Stretch show that I do, I pay close attention to Delta and Evangeline, whereas I think a lot of people don't. I realize it's, it's, it's not, you know, Major League Racing. We get that. But this kid was fantastic. He tore that place apart. And just like you said, um, the number of, the, of wins above the guy that was in second. And, you know, people will argue that, well, you know, he's winning in the minor leagues. But you have to look at his dominance. He will, um, th this time, two years from now, he will not be riding at Delta Downs and Evangel. He'll at least be at a Churchill or, a, well, not at least, that would be a major circuit. He'll be a winning rider uh, on a A-level circuit. He's that good. And the uh, competition that he's facing, you know, they're good riders. Um, Barbosa is the one that's getting a lot of votes and Jose Gomez with the other two candidates. You know, their futures are limited. I can't see them being stars someday. I could see this guy, you know, maybe even going beyond, you know, the fifth leading rider at Churchill. Who knows? The sky's the limit for him. He's really talented. I don't think he's going to win because everybody's going to hold their nose and, and you know, the snobs are going to say, oh, he only rode at Delta Downs in advance. One. But good job. Yeah, I, Thanks. I, I, voted, I voted for him as well. I mean, he had more than 20% yeah. win percentage. So, oh, wow. I mean, you know, uh, just to set the record straight, I didn't vote for Regal Glory for champion older mayor, you know, female turf horse. I, I thought that she okay. should have gotten more consideration than I think she's going to get having run post Breeders' Cup. And a lot of people just get that out of their minds once the Breeders' Cup is done that, you know, they've, they've, they've got their votes already already set in their minds. I actually went Warlike Goddess first, Regal Glory second, and Italian third. Uh, a couple of the other uh, divisions that I think are going to be really tough. First of all, the outstanding trainer. Uh, to me, it's it's a coin flip, really, between between Chad Brown and Todd Pletcher. I mean, you can make a strong case for either one of them. Uh, I ultimately went Todd Pletcher one, Chad Brown two, and here's another world heard from, Charlie Appleby three. I could even make a case for voting Charlie Appleby the outstanding trainer this year, even though he you know, had limited number of starters. Uh, older uh, male turf horse, or just male turf horse in general. The American turf horses, uh, there's not really uh, not really a lot to get excited about. Uh, the male turf horses. I mean, Warlike Goddess finished third in the Breeders' Cup turf. She was the highest finisher of any of the American horses in the Breeders' Cup turf. Uh, so I thought it came down to Rebels Romance uh, and Modern Games, the two European horses. I thought Rebels Romance was more impressive winning the turf than Modern Games was in winning the mile. But Modern Games made two trips over here one in Canada and one in the Breeders' Cup, as opposed to Rebels Romance, one. I mean, how, you know, what do you use as a criterion there? I ultimately went modern games over Rebels Romance. But again, I think that's going to be a really tough one, too. Uh, I'm in agreement with Randy there. I went, I, I did the same thing just purely on the, the two starts. And for lack of a really good male older turf horse, I mean, come on, Chad Brown, where are you? You've got all the girls running their tails off. There's no boys in his barn. Yeah, I mean, there. It, it's nice that there are a couple of races that, you know, those years where we know before they announce anything, we know who was going to be the champion in virtually every single category. I mean, nobody's debating whether or not Forte should be the two-year-old male champion. I mean, you'd have to be, uh, you know, simple if, if you didn't vote for him or something wrong with you. But it is nice that there are a couple of categories where it's a little bit. Randy, you're right. The, the, the Todd Pletcher versus Chad Brown thing is, is very interesting. And uh uh, I don't have the, my notes in front of me, but in, in almost every category so far as wins, winning percentage, graded stakes wins, grade one wins, Chad Brown has uh, had a better year than Pletcher. But Pletcher is not far behind. It's not like he's getting swamped by Chad Brown. But I went with Pletcher because on that Eclipse Award evening, he's going to be collecting three trophies, Ness, Malathat, and Forte. And I just thought that on top of everything else he accomplished running one, two in the Belmont this year. Um, you know, again, is just a phenomenal. Chad Brown had a very Chad Brown like year. It was tremendous. I get it. But I think in the what was very special, Todd Pletcher enters into the category of some very special achievements. That's why I went there. But anyone who wants to vote for Chad Brown will not get any complaint from me. I pulled up a couple of figures that I thought were interesting um, the year end totals on the two. So Todd ran 1,022 races. 223 wins, Chad, 922 races, 244 wins. 
But I thought the turf to dirt contrast was absolutely glaring. Chad Brown on turf for the year, 571 runners, 135 winners. Todd Pletcher on turf, 319 to 59. So there's your big sway with the turf for Chad Brown. Now, if we go to the dirt, Chad Brown, 351 runners on the dirt, 109 winners. Todd Pletcher, 703 runners on dirt, 164 winners. So I think it, it goes into the category of, are we voting for a turf trainer or a dirt trainer? I mean, the year-end the year statistics are pretty much about the same, but there's definitely a big sway of three-year-old dirt horses in Pletcher and three-year-old, perhaps, fillies and mares and up in the Chad Brown barn. Yeah, I did the same deep dive in statistics. And, and you know, you could have absolutely busted me on this one. Uh, you know, yes, Chad Brown, you know, dominated the turf division, had a lot more turf starters. In 2022, Chad's win percentage on dirt was actually higher than his yes. win percentage with turf horses. Maybe that's because he had he ran so many horses against each other in turf races that it might have brought down his percentage a little bit and Randy, also, I think it's because dirt races have smaller fields than turf races. Uh, but in the end, I, I, I kind of thought the same thing Bill did. You know, I, I could go either way on these two guys. They both won a triple crown race, early voting for Chad, Mo Donegal for Pletcher. But Pletcher ran one, two in the Belmont. Uh, Pletcher won two Breeders' Cup races as opposed to one for Chad. And then, as Bill pointed out, uh, he's going to collect three Eclipse Award trophies almost certainly. And maybe Chad will get one for in Italian. We'll see. Well, Chad also good has night good night olive, olive, so he's yeah. going to get definitely the one. And then, you know, I think between an Italian regular, he'll probably win that division. Maybe not. We don't know. But so he, let's say he's got one and a half at this point, because we don't really know about that. But uh, anyways, um, yeah, the three championships are what's sweet. The Keelan January sale starts on Monday. It will run through four sessions, all starting at 10 a.m. with 1,614 horses catalogued. Let's talk about some of the short yearlings. And I'm not just saying short because they're short. They all turned one on the first of the year. We're looking forward to seeing the likes of Authentic, Game Winner, McKinsey, Tis the Law, Improbable, and War of Will. And guys, it looks like Bob Baffert has a plethora of horses coming forward for the first of the year that are all turning one. Zoe, that's a terrific list of first-year sires for the quote-unquote short yearlings. Uh, every one of them looks like they can have a great career as a sire. I've always been such a big Tis the Law fan. Um, you know, he he was a, a horse that showed up every single time. You know, he won some huge races for Barkley Tag and for the Sacatoga Sables. If, you know, if we want to have a, a poll right now among who in this group is going to be number one, I would go with Tis the Law. McKinsey for me. Randy, you, you can't be on the fence on this one. I'll take authentic. All right, we got all of them covered. One of us will be right. We'll be right back after these messages from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is racing. This beating heart in the heart of horse country. Steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us why, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. Maximum security proves he's the real deal with a gate to wire win in the Florida Derby. Champion three-year-old. Maximum security has won the TBG.com Haskell Invitational. 11 triple digit bias. Maximum security. He smoked them in the cigar mile. Grade one winning four-year-old. Maximum security takes them all the way in the TBG Pacific Classic. Secure your mayor's future. Maximum security. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Coolmore. Progeny by Ashford Stallions performed at the top of the game in 2022. Uncle Mo was the top 10 general sire with seven graded stakes winners in 2022, led by Belmont winner Mo Donegal. Munnings was also a top 10 stallion in North America. He had 15 stakes winners, led by Jack Christopher, who also joins his sire this year. Justify was the first three-crop sire by earnings. He finished out the year with 29 winners, including four graded stakes winners. Looking forward to seeing Justique this weekend. And Practical Joke finished third on the second crop sire list 
and American Pharaoh finished second on the fourth crop sire list. Randy, I mean, Bill, Bill, Beverly Park? Well, why didn't they think they should have been promoting the fact that Beverly Park is by the hardest working, toughest horse this game has seen in 50 years? By money. So we know the monies have talent. We also know how tough they are. Congratulations to Beverly Park, the son of money. Well, with the end of the year coming, we saw two major retirements from trainers. Rick Schossberg, who's been a very good trainer on the New York circuit since the 80s, trained Maria's Mon, an Eclipse Award winner. He announced his retirement. And so did Dale Capuano, one of the leading trainers in the sport year in and year out, uh, and has been one of the top figures in Maryland racing for a long, long time. I, I think the real story here, though, is not about the individuals. It's of the whole. And we're seeing this now. Uh, so Kieran McLaughlin, a terrific trainer, uh, he walked away. Uh, Gary Contessa, another very good trainer, he walked away. Uh, he did come back. Now he's back training. But it, you know, if you and this this shocked me, Rick Shosberg. I'm telling you, I know uh, neither of you are New Yorkers like I am, so may not be as familiar uh, with him as I. But this guy's a really good trainer. He's a Ivy League graduate from Cornell. Um, you know, he's won boatloads of races. He said that his income. He told me uh, in 2022 was $55,000 a year training horses. And you can't make $55,000 a year. And, you know, there are other reasons why he's getting out. Uh, he wants to devote more time to thoroughbred aftercare. But, you know, I think that, you know, again, this is an ongoing subject and there's no answer to it. But if your name is not Bob Baffert, Chad Brown, or Todd Pletcher, this is not an easy game. Even for top trainers or really good trainers like this, they're, they're all going to be missed. But, um, you know, again, there's no answer, but the economics of the game for those mid-level trainers are out of whack. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, especially training in New York. I spend all the summers there at Saratoga for XBTV. And the overload and the cost for the trainers, workers' comp included, is it's just unbelievable the amount of money these guys have to shell out. Now, Schossberg, not really a surprise to me. Thankfully, we won't lose him in this game of horse racing because he's doing some marvelous work with aftercare and he is the perfect spokesman for that. A really, really good guy. But the cost, it's its just insane. If you're a trainer in New York, you'd better be winning a whole lot of races because it is almost unaffordable. And especially going to Saratoga, if you don't have a second home there, you have that extra cost. No one's reaching out and saying, here, here's a house. Come live in my house for the summer. You're forking out 15 grand for a house He's making 55 a year and he's got to pay 15 grand for a house in Saratoga. It, you just cannot do it. As for Dale Capuano, I was actually surprised. Um, it looks like he's just said enough. He's done enough. He wants to enjoy his retirement, not get up at 4 a.m. every morning. I mean, I can attest to that. And so I, I wish him the best of luck and, and have some fun in a career that really has been all based around the mid-Atlantic circuit. And he's a terrific guy, a wonderful horseman. And it's good to see him going out on top. Yeah, I mean, it's getting tougher and tougher for these guys. I mean, we all love the sport. We like to be around it, stay as close to it as we possibly can. And that's what keeps a lot of these trainers going, the love of the sport of horse racing, the love for the animal. But, you know, I mean, Zoe, Bill, you've, you've talked to these guys over the years, and some of these trainers will tell you, you know, I haven't had a vacation in 25 years. You know, I haven't had a vacation in 35 years. It, it's a tough life, even when things are going well and even when they're making a lot of money. But now you get a situation where the rise of the super trainer, uh, guys that are training 200, 250 horses at a time, are crowding out some of the little guys, making it tougher and tougher for the little guys to succeed. Uh Workers' comp, as you pointed out, is, is astronomical. The general costs of everything have have gone up. Um, you've got situations now in medication where, you know, you get 30-day suspension for 21 picograms of an overage. It, it adds considerably, I think, to the stress level that, that's, that some of these guys uh, have to endure. It's just a tough way to go. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all that guys like uh, Capano and Schausberg are are bowing out a little earlier than we might expect. And uh, frankly, I think we can probably uh, look to see more of these situations happening. Yeah, it's, it's really a shame that, uh, you know, again, these are not 3% trainers that win two races a year. These are very good horsemen that, that this is happening to. So um, 
last weekend, the uh, uh, kind of a quiet weekend, we had the big card at Gulfstream Park with the preview for the, the Pegasus World Cup card. Before we get to that, um, I thought there was one three-year-old that, you know, again, I'm, I'm not going to put him in my top five or something like that in my derby list, but Oakland sort of unofficially kicked off the road to the Kentucky Derby for three-year-olds because the Smarty Jones was the first three-year-old race of the year run on January 1st. And um, victory formation looked pretty good. It was his first start beyond six furlongs, stretched out. And uh, if you looked at uh, T.D. Thornton's top uh, 13 that he does for the uh, TDN, he already he's, um, put out his first list of derby contenders. Red Cox has four on that list. So uh, now I don't think any one of them were in T.D.'s top five. So, uh, you know, he doesn't have a forte. Um, but, uh, you, you know, it looks like he's got uh, a very strong hand. Um, Randy, any thoughts on victory formation? I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, I think he just probably deserves to be in anybody's top 15, maybe top dozen. I don't know what was behind him necessarily in the Smarty Jones, but he, but he did it the right way. And, you know, you talk about Brad Cox not having a forte. He's got Loggins, who probably was a better horse than Forte in the Breeders' right. Futurity at Keeneland. A lot of us felt that way, right? Cox has got, uh, obviously, victory formation. Loggins, he's got Instant Coffee that won the Kentucky Jockey Club at Churchill Downs. He's got Jace's Road that just uh, won the Gun Runner at Fairgrounds on the day after Christmas. Uh, the same day, he had a, a three-year-old named Corona Bolt, or a two-year-old at the time, that ran a hole in the wind at six furlongs in a race called the Sugar Bowl. He's the son of Bolt Doro, obviously. They're going to stretch him out. He had a 97 buyer speed figure. He's got Giant Mischief, who was beaten in the Springboard Mile, but ran a winning race. He had some, some early trouble uh, and looked sensational in defeat in that race. He's got Verifying, who was second in the Champagne and sixth in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And he's probably got four or five more back in the barn that haven't even run yet that are exceptionally well-bred that we'll be talking about as the weeks progress. Wouldn't surprise me at all if when we get to Kentucky Derby Day, Cox had three last year, if the combination of Cox, Todd Pletcher, and the horses currently in the barn of Bob Baffert uh, have half of the 20 starters that wind yeah, up leading. very well for being, sure. Would not surprise me at all. He's got three of the top six on the road to the Derby point system already. Um, yeah, I mean... Talking about super trainers. We're going to have a whole show about super trainers now. We've just got three we can talk about. One can't even run in the derby. Looks like Tim Yachtin might have a good year. Yeah, right. Well, I guarantee you this. When we're doing our first show of 2024, we will not be talking about Brad Cox retiring, getting stepping away from the game. <laughs> he, you don't have to worry about anyways. So, Zoe, um, the big card at Gulfstream Park, uh, a lot of the races were preps for the big Pegasus World Cup turf uh, and Pegasus World Cup invitational card. What were some of your takeaways from, I, I don't know if they call it Pegasus Preview Day or not, but it's as good a name as any. Definitely Pegasus Preview Day. I think we saw a breakout performance from Skippy Longstocking. Now, he beat his stable mate in there, O'Connor, who was also trained by Safi Joseph. That horse ran fourth, and he actually went off the favorite Safi Joseph saying he split a shoe going down the backside. He has glue on shoes and it basically broke in half. So he only ran with half a shoe on. That was the excuse for O'Connor. Skippy Longstocking jumped something on the backside and took a really awkward step that scared the bejesus out of anybody that was watching. It looks like those two will go forward. Hopefully they get invited. White Abario will be in there. So it, it looks like it's shaping up to be a very, very good Pegasus World Cup. Looks like we'll see Cyberknife, unfortunately, making his last start of the year for trainer. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Brad Cox, that guy? <laughs> um, I really wish that was one of the horses that we would see carry on through the year. He's a son of Gunrunner. He'll be going to stud. It will be really awesome to see what he could have done this year, but we're not going to see that. I thought the, the preview for the Pegasus turf was a very good one. What did you guys think of Colonel, Colonel Liam? Because I don't think he got an awful, awful trip from the 12 hole, and it was the first start in quite some time, but he looked flat down the lane. City man and decorated Invader looked terrific for Christophe Pomont, and they'll go forward for the turf. But Colonel Liam looks like he's going to go, but it wasn't quite what I was expecting. Zoe, I, I would have come up with the exact same adjective to describe it as flat. And you can't say it's because off the long layoff, because this horse has come off these long layoffs before. 
and they have not been an issue. And Todd Pletcher does not give a horse a race. I mean, obviously he wants to win the Pegasus turf uh, more than he wants to win the Fort Lauderdale stakes, but his horses are ready to go first time off the bat. So I thought he was a big disappointment. Um, can he win the, the Pegasus turf? I suppose, um, but he's going to have to run back to his very best form and he can't, he can't run that race again. That won't get it done. I'm wanting to come close. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he won the Pegasus Turf last year. Uh, he's probably not going to be the favorite after that performance this year. I mean, maybe this is looking for logical explanations where there is no logical explanation. But I believe even before Colonel Liam's last race, that when you look at his past performances, most of his better races have come when he's up close in very slow fractions and he's able kind of to dictate things or be sitting right there. And in races that are very aggressively paced, uh, that seems to be his weakness. And this this race we just saw at Gulfstream Park was a very aggressively paced race, and he kind of came up a little bit lacking in the last eighth of a mile. Uh, we're going to be there for NBC for the Pegasus Turf and the Pegasus. Right now, the list of probables for the Pegasus World Cup, not just Cyberknife. I think the top three, if you had to rank them, uh, would be Cyberknife, Zandun, who is still somewhat on the fence with Chad Brown, uh, Proxy, who won the Clark, right? Top four, I guess. Defunded, uh, trained by Bob Afford, is considered to be a contender uh, for the Pegasus uh, World Cup after his win in the Native Diver and, of course, before that in the Awesome again. So it's going to be. And also, also, Bill, Bill, Double Crown, trained by Norman Lynn Cash, is also on the list of possible <laughs> invitees there. So there you go. But he'll have to find a prep that same week. He's got to run on Wednesday coming into the Pegasus World Cup uh, car. So, because uh, he can't possibly come back on, oh, two weeks rest, something like that. So, a uh, lot of big, a uh, lot of love for Norman Lincash. He's my man. The Lane's End Stallion of the Week is Tonalist, the son of Tappet, who's the leading fourth crop sire in 2022, primarily because Tonalist is the sire of country grammar who made only $10.9 million in 2022. It's just incredible, isn't it? What a win in the Dubai World Cup and a second in the Saudi Cup will get you in yearly earnings. Totalist, the sire of country grammar, stands for $10,000 this year at Lane's Inn. Coming up next, our talk with Frankie DeTore, where country grammar will be mentioned. But first, this message from Lane's Inn. Tonalist, a four-time grade one winner with 11 triple-digit buyers, including the Belmont Stakes and the Cigar Mile. He's already living up to his potential as a sire with multiple graded stakes winners, including grade one winner Country Grammar and grade two winner Tonalist Shape, plus multiple six-figure yearling and two-year-old sales. Proven on the track, proven in the sales ring. Tonalist, standing at lane's end. The Green Group Guest of the Week, sponsored by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry with over 500 clients in the horse business. The Green Group has proven strategies to save you taxes, and you can learn more about that at www.greenco.com. Welcome in now, the Green Group Guest of the Week, and it's a big one. We are really happy and proud to bring Frankie DeToria into the fold for the TDN Writers Room podcast. Frankie, welcome. It's such a thrill to have you, not just on the podcast, but to have your riding services in the States at Santa Anita for the next several weeks. And my first question for you, what did opening day mean to you? I mean, even with your great record overseas, you were no guarantee to do all that well here. Three wins on opening day. What did that mean? And did you send a little bit of a message there? Well, well look, um, basically, as you know, I decided to... Uh, Call it the day uh, this year, 2023, hopefully at uh, the Breeders' Cup. So um, I, I was approached by the Stora Group if I was interested to come to Santanita, Gulfstream, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I said, well, why not? It's my last year. This is where I all started uh, when I was a, when I was a teenager in uh, 1987. This is the first time I came here. And uh, I said, why not? And then I got the ball rolling a little bit. I mentioned it to Ron Anderson, who is one of the best jockeys agents around. And uh, he was very interested to take me on as um, he was um, 
he was uh, sending John um, Johnny V here. So um, uh, so that makes uh, a, a, a big uh, uh, a big incentive for me to come over. And then uh, basically, I was kind of thinking of doing a bit of a South American tour and. And then uh, Ron said, "Listen, if, if you want to, you know, hit the ball, you know, you, you know, if you want to do well, you should be up for opening day. You know, it's, it's a massive race day, and uh, you know, at least you show that you are committed and you you take it as serious. So, you know, that that was actually for fail the fact that I was wasn't going to be home for Christmas. But my kids now are old enough." They don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. All they want is cash in the bank account. So, so, so that made my my decision easier. And my wife, she said, "Listen, uh, you know, since it's your last year, go out there and enjoy it." And uh, you know, I mean, Christmas is just like another dinner, really. Uh, so, um, yeah, I left. And um, Simon Callan, my good old friend, he's uh, he's put me up at the moment. And uh, yes, and like I said. I didn't, you know, I, I knew uh, opening opening day was big, but I, you know, I haven't been here for so many years. I forgot how big it is. You know, having 41,000 people, I mean, is, you know, it's pretty remarkable. And uh, and to my uh, misbelief, uh, to see me jumped up on country grammar on the first day, I went, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, talking about he's one of the best horses in, 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 uh, in America on the first day. So the pressure was on. You know, and like like a true champion of the horses, and and Bob Buffer was a great trainer. He 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 delivered in style, so he gave me a you know up to that race. I was you know I, I'm not lying to you. I was nervous, and you know, but it's you know it's, it's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure was on. All, all the eyes were on me, but but uh, he, he he did he did the job. Then I, after that, I was able to enjoy the day, and uh, obviously winning for Paul Renham. What has been a big supporter of mine in the in the last few years in America. Uh, there was a uh, great thrill, uh, what we didn't expect. And then, obviously, because I was staying, because I'm staying with Simon, uh, uh, he really liked the filly, and and she won. So it was it was like a ten out of ten day. I can't I can't really ask for it anymore, and it was beyond my thinking that you know. I thought, well. You know, if a country ground wins, I had a great day. But, you know, to, to get three on the board on the first day was amazing. Well, Frankie, in hiring Ron Anderson as your agent, there are two realities. Uh, number one, he's going to put you on some good three-year-olds that are early contenders for the Kentucky Derby. And number two, as my good friend Jerry Bailey likes to say, Ron will put you on an airplane. Now, <laughs> you have... You had mentioned sort of a 10-week plan when you came to America. If you get those kind of mounts, are you willing to extend that and maybe uh, call an audible? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, uh, you know, I, I leave everything open, basically. Uh, I did mention to Bob Baffer that if he's got a, a nice freedom for me to, to put me on, and he's, he just give me the thumbs up. Um, listen, uh, at the moment, my, I'm planning to stay you know, I'm planning to go to the Pegasus end of uh, Jan. Then I'll come back here. I'll do Saudi Cup. Hopefully, fingers crossed, country drama if, he, if he's healthy. And then I'll come back here. I want to do the big cap. And then by then, I will have a pretty good idea if I got a nice three-year-old or not. If I do have, uh, I will extend uh, with, you know, usually all the... Well, the trials are beginning to 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 develop in March and April, like uh, the Santanita Derby and so on and so forth. So, so every, everything's open. Uh, I I have at the moment I've got two good free rolls in Europe, uh, Colts and Phillies. Uh, but you know, if I get an American Pharaohs, <laughs> that that's a different ball game. And so, I'll, everything's open at the moment. So I'm. Um, I'm uh, I'm not uh, say no to anything. Um, then also, also we have the Dubai World Cup in end of March, so it's, it's a lot to to, to, to do. So uh, I am uh, I've got a, a uh, how do you say a blank canvas, and we'll 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 we make it up as we go along. 
And Frankie, that was going to be my next question. If you could win one more race, any race anywhere in the world, what would it be? Well, I never thought that, you know, I rode in the Kentucky Derby once. And um, it was an amazing experience. You know, it's, it's America's most famous race, probably one of, the, one of the world. And, you know, if I have an opportunity that I've got a nice three-year-old, of course I've got to roll the dice and give it a go, you know. As you know, this is my last year, so I'm not, I'm not going to have any other opportunity. You know, also, you know, looking beyond the Kentucky Derby, uh, the Melbourne Cup, you know, I, I never won it. It's a massive race. As uh, my, my wife's family are from Australia, so that, that means a lot. And another one in my own town, Newmarket, is the July Cup, the spring. So you know, they're, they're the three things that spring to mind. But, um, you know, of course, you know, I like I like to win them all again. You know, all the others ones that I won already. <laughs> so, so I'm I'm a bit greedy in that in that sense. Uh, Frankie, you've also not only come to Santa Anita, but you've announced your retirement at the end of the year. And uh, you know, you're 52 years old. That's not young, but it's not ancient. You're riding great. You're on top of your game. You know, certainly you've got to have three, four, maybe even five good years left in you if you decided to keep going. Why? Um, you know, why now is the time to to say, uh, I'm going to call it a day. Why? Because um, he actually, he, he don't on me when, when after the British government, I came back home and had some time off and uh, I was approached my 52th birthday. And, um, you know, I still got the good rides. I still feel good. Uh, but then, you know, end of next year, I'll be 53. I want to leave a legacy where I um, I finish on the top. Uh, this game is uh, very fickle. You know, you can go from hero to zero in in, in the space of few days. Uh, I, at the moment, I physically feel that I can uh, give my owners and my horses and my trainers hundred percent. And uh, and I feel that if I can have one good year, is it's time to move on. My heart wants to carry on. I mean, Mike Smith is a classic example. He's 57 and, you know, his, his riding still is very best. But, uh, you know, um, I, I feel that, uh, you know, I don't want racing to stop me. I want racing. I want myself to stop. Uh, and I feel if I can manage to have one good year and finish at 53, I think, you know, because there is life after racing too. I'm, I'm not to, I'm talking about riding. Now, obviously, I like to get into the media. I like to be a commentator. I like to still be involved in racing. But I don't want to be old enough that uh, I want to be sorry. I want to be young enough that I can I can jump and, and start something else. So, now I think look after 36 years in the saddle, I think you know it's it's pretty good going. So, Frankie, you mentioned legacy. Uh, and hopefully this year you'll have a lot more fine art to paint on that blank canvas that you were talking about. But as of right now, looking back on your career, you had the sensational seven at Ascot back in 96. What would you consider to be the most memorable moment in your career? Well, obviously, look, what they did in 96, you know, they, they made movies out of it. So uh, I... Even now, 26 years later, when I look back to it, that is for sure my greatest achievement. But obviously, look, I've, I've had some great thrills. I, um, I, I love to apply my trade in different countries, different challenges. You know, I mean, I've won races all over the world. But, you know, all the big ones are huge. You know, obviously winning six Argo Triumphs, huge. The Derbies, the British Cups, the Japan Cup. So they've all been great thrills. Uh, I, um, I, I do enjoy uh, challenging myself in different places. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm really enjoying being here at the moment because it's all new to me. But of course, I've ridden here before, but it's all new. I, I don't know the horses. I don't know the new riders. Uh, you know, that it, it's a good challenge, and that's, that's what keeps me young. Frankie, on the flip yeah, side, do you have any regrets as you look back over your 35 plus years in your riding? Do you have anything you think you wish you could have done better or didn't do at all? Uh, well, listen, nobody's had the perfect life, that's for sure. Uh, 
maybe I wish I was as delicate then than I am now. I mean, I, I work twice as hard now, but obviously I have to because the body is not the same than it was 20 years ago. But, you know, I kind of, uh, uh, I parted a lot more then. <laughs> I parted a lot less now. But, yeah, look, you, you know, you can, um, you know, you can always do better, that's for sure. But, uh, I, you know, uh, I'm pretty satisfied that, that I did okay. Frankie, and some of the stories have been written about you since you announced your retirement. There's some mention of Saratoga. And I realize, unlike Santa Anita, this meet right now, it's in the height of the British racing season. You know, certainly you might come in for a race or two, as you have in, in, in other years. But could we see you in Saratoga for an extended period of time? That would be another certainly challenge for you in your career to, uh, you know, win a bunch of races there. Uh, I, I really I haven't looked that far yet. Obviously, Saratoga is right bang in the middle of a, a European season. Um, most likely it'd be like a kind of weekend appearances if I do do it. I don't think I will have the time to spend uh, a, a good five weeks there because there's so much going on in Europe and it'd be, it'd be you know, the, the Europe has been, it's been my life and I, uh, you know, I, I have to give him a bit back this year since he's my last. So uh, I would say if I, if I do come, it will be just for the big weekends. Frankie, you mentioned the riders that you're riding with right now. I've always wanted to ask you this question. When anyone watches, let's say, the Breeders' Cup races, okay, it, it's very obvious, especially when the jockeys are coming down the stretch, to pick out the American riders from the European riders. Not that one style is better than the other, but they're typically very different styles that are easily distinguished, except for you. Even at Santa Anita this past weekend at age 52, coming down the stretch, you could have been Irad Ortiz or you could have been Joel Rosario. You could not tell the difference. How did you, being from Italy and riding in, the, in, uh, in Europe for so long, how did you develop that riding style? So, look, like I did four winters when I was a teenager, and that was very important because when you're young, you absorb like a sponge. I mean, when I came here in the late uh, 80s, uh, you know, was, you know I, I was there when Bill stopped riding. And obviously, you know, it was Lafitte, Eddie De La Uzi, Chris McCarron, Gary Stevens. Uh, I, I probably missed another five or six there, you know, Angel coming from the East Coast, uh, Jerry, and, you know, so. Um, I, when, I, when I was here as a young boy, I didn't want to be the odd one out and, you know, I want to try to look like that. So I, I really made a massive effort to, 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 to copy the best of each one of those riders. Um, and uh, bear in mind, uh, American race is pretty much about speed, aerodynamics, cutting the wind. Uh, that's why the style, American style, is more crouched behind the horse's neck. Uh, it's all about, you know, like you, like you, you go in a bike, on a bicycle, if you stand up, you're going to go slower. If you crouch down, you're going to cut the wind. So all those techniques, and then, and you know, then I tried uh, different things, and that's, it all came to fruition in, 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 in later years, but uh, basically, this is where it all started, really. And uh, if I do like like I do now, it's because the vast majority of when I was learning was uh, was was here in the U.S. Frankie, where did the flying dismount come from? And we hope to see more of it here at Santa Anita. It was great to see three on opening day. I don't think are your knees going to hold up to do it every single race that you win because right now no, you're. I'm you're flying. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, no, look, I'm gonna. You know, all right, the first day was different, right? It's a big crowd. It was different. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna take it easy a little bit because actually, when you land there at the winner's circle, it's it's, it's pretty hard. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I, I did I, I did break my ankle twice, so it, it was pretty swollen the next day. Uh, look, it's a bit of fun. I will keep it for the big races. I actually, when I was here in Again, in the late 80s, um, Angel Cordero used to fly over from New York and ride the weekends for, for Wayne Lucas. 
And when you used to win the, the big race, you used to jump off the horse like, like I do. So I kind of stole it from him, really. I'm, I'm not an imposter that I stole it from him. <laughs> and uh, I took it back to Europe. Uh, it's a racing, of course, is a serious game, but it's also a bit of fun, you know. Uh, and we should bring fun to the audience or to the crowd. And, and you know, and, and it's, it's a bit of fun, you know. Uh, and so I got to a point now that 30 years later, if I don't do it, they kind of expect me to do it. And if I don't do it, they boo. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm, I'm slaved on my own thing, really. But, you know, it's a bit of fun. And, you know, put a smile on people's faces. And especially uh, in the summertime when kids have their summer holidays, they come racing, like they actually, they come to see me jump off the horse, really. <laughs> Funny, right? Are you going to add that to your repertoire when you go into broadcasting? Because I'm always of the belief that this game sometimes is a bit stodgy. And we as broadcasters should be having way more fun. hundred percent. You know, uh, you know, it, look, it's, you know, racing is a million billion dollar business, you know, uh, in breeding, in owning, in gambling. And, uh, but, you know, it is a, com- a commodity. Nobody, you know, it's, it's not life and death situation. We should enjoy it. We should, you know, we should be proud of what we got. We got an amazing sport with the, an amazing animal. I mean, I don't know anyone who has been racing and not enjoyed it. You know, just to go near the rail in the stretch and listening to them horses galloping by, the thrill and the noise is unique. I don't think, you know, I think sometimes we take it for granted. And uh, you know, I'm very proud of what we do. I'm very proud of my sport. And, you know, I want to sell as best we can. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of negativity about a lot of things, but uh, overall, I, I think we've got an amazing sport and should be, we should be proud of it. So, Randy, um, is Frankie going to make a good broadcaster? Let's critique him. What do you think? <laughs> stay stay in, the, in, in the UK, Frankie, and don't try to get a broadcasting job in America, okay? <laughs> no, sure, sure. No, yeah, look, uh, it's very easy to talk about something that you love, you know, and, uh, and I love racing so much. You know, we have, uh, like I said, I, I was born into it. And I'm lucky. I mean, 36 years, I don't call it a job. It's been, it's been a hobby and it's been lots of fun. You're out here all winter. You're staying with Simon Callahan. What are you guys doing for fun? Uh, I'm going to the Lakers tomorrow, where I've never been. Nice. And, yes. And uh, I'm waiting for the good weather to turn. I wouldn't mind playing a bit of golf as well. Uh, Listen, it's, it's lots to do here anyway. So I, 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 I bet I skied here before back in the day in uh, Big Bear. So that's a possibility as well. But, uh, you know, like, like you said, Ron is going to keep me pretty busy. Obviously, I'm going to go to Florida. So, I'm, yeah, the, the time will go quick. Very good. Well, say hi to LeBron James for us at the Lakers game and enjoy <laughs> that. So, well, Frankie, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, if he sees me because I'm only five foot, he's like a giant. <laughs> he might step on me. Yes, we we will find out about that. Who knows? Maybe LeBron's a big Frankie Dottori fan. You never know. So, yes, very good. Well, Frankie, thanks so much for joining us here on the TDN Writers Room Podcast. Congratulations on your early success at Santa Anita. Keep it going. Big kiss. I'll see you at Santa Anita. Okay. Cheers, Frankie. And again, the Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored by the Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. And as this week's Guest of the Week, Frankie Dottori will receive a free one-hour tax consultation. Learn more at www.greenco.com. And we'll be right back after this message from the Green Group. Why do the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. 
The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting-edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds. And we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. The Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association's Stallion Season Auction will be held January the 15th through the 22nd. You can visit thoroughlybred.com. That's an online marketplace to register prior to the auction and view the available seasons. Now, that auction includes stallions from all states or from many racing states, including Kentucky. But some of the Pennsylvania stallions represented in that auction, Wicked Strong, new to Pennsylvania for 2023, as well as Capo Kane, Peace and Justice, Uptown Charlie Brown, and more. Well, one of the stories that broke while we were taking our little Christmas break was that Trackus has gone out of business. Trackus, of course, was the uh, timing service used by, uh, I'd say, what, about 9, 10 tracks, something like that. Uh, it started in 2006, was you know the new uh, wave of timing races using a lot of bells and whistles, whatnot. Now, they're going out of business means that right now, uh, the only alternative to the old-fashioned beam system, which is, goes back, uh, and Randy knows specifically back to the 30s or 40s or something like that, um, is now GMAX. Uh, GMAX is going to pick up some more customers. I think the Daily Racing Forum reported that um, GMAX is going to come into New York now. Randy Moss, come. I know at this Christmas you didn't get any presents from Equibase, uh, GMAX, or the Jockey Club. Uh, with you talking and me writing, um, you have been the number one uh, outspoken critic of GMAX uh, and have rightly pointed out that it's just not that good. Uh, the times are inaccurate and uh, an often case and that gave you and your cohorts at the buyer, spe buyer speed figures a lot of headaches. So uh, is this uh, is this going to cause more problems now that GMAX is uh, apparently um, you know going to become even more a force in thoroughbred racing or have they gotten their act together? Yeah, I didn't get a Christmas present or a Christmas card in 2022, 2021, 2020, uh, and I and I totally understand it. Uh, look, I've been I've been a critic. Let's let's start off with a little love for Equibase and the Jockey Club. Uh, first of all, they have uh, acknowledged that the GPS component of the GMAX system is not ready for prime time as it pertains to the pinpoint accuracy needed to time thoroughbred races in the United States. Uh, so therefore, to try to correct those deficiencies in the GMAX system, uh, Equibase in combination with uh, American Teletimer, which Equibase actually purchased a couple of years ago, have invented a, a, a beam that is wireless. I mean, most of the beams, almost all of the beams, well, li literally all of the beams that we're accustomed to seeing in the United States timing races back to the 1930s are hardwired with this, you know, incredibly complex network of wires going underneath the turf courses and underneath the infield. It's a logistical nightmare, but it has been very, very accurate. And now there are wireless beams that, can, that Equibase is currently using for the GMAX system to record the final times of horse races. So those times that were so inaccurate that we complained about for so long have now been repaired. The final times that GMAX tracks are accurate. The fly in the ointment here that, that still exists is that the fractional times, as we sit here right now, are still being done via GPS. So the fractional times are inaccurate within maybe two-fifths of a second, sometimes three-fifths of a second, not good enough for handicapping, especially fractional times. Uh, but Equibase is, is investigating ways to correct that by using some of those portable beams at points of call during the race, as well as the start and finish points of the races. So hopefully uh, we can get all this ironed out uh, sooner rather than later. I, I think Equibase has done the right thing in investigating the use of GPS for all things regarding timing and tracking and thoroughbred racing. It's just that right now, the GPS that's available is not precise enough and or accurate enough for timing purposes. They are still looking at different versions of GPS that hopefully in the not so near future 
can be accurate enough within a few centimeters, supposedly, to be used for both timing and tracking. Uh, and when that happens, uh, it, it'll be good for everybody. It, it, it really is, Bill, the next wave, Enzo, the next wave in handicapping, right? When you can accurately have average stride length for each 16th of a mile, accurate being the key word. And, and you can factor in the, the difference in racing surfaces with coefficients, and you can determine in a horse's past performances at what point the horse typically begins to shorten stride. You can factor in pace into that. There's so many different elements that are going to be brought into play with technology. We just got to get to the point where it's accurate. What about the live racing? Are we still going to have the chiclets? Because sometimes it's impossible to see if you've got flight line 28 lengths in front and everyone else behind, you can't see them. So a chiclet staying? Because I love chiclets. GMAX also uh, has a robust uh, a chiclet uh, system, it, it, as well as the tracking and as well as the timing. Uh, whether it's as accurate right now as the... Uh, you know, as the Trackus system, I don't know. I was a fan of that. I thought the Trackus, the old-fashioned antennas in the infield Trackus system was supposedly uh, not very cost-effective for racetracks. It was very expensive. I think that, in the end, was the reason why it didn't expand and why they had to go out of business. But from, from what we saw at the major racetracks, what was published on Trackus.com, uh, I was a fan of the, of the Trackus data. It wasn't always... 100% reliable, but it was better than what we had before. I used it. Um, the chiclets I thought were very accurate, but GMAX does have its own chiclets, yes. Well, a big weekend coming up at Santa Anita with preps for horses that may wind up in the Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks. Zoe, tell us more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everyone knows in Southern California, we've been building an arc of late. We canceled racing this, this past weekend on one day. And everything has been pushed forward. So Saturday, we have basically a, a terrific card, over $900,000 in stakes racing for Calbreds. It's Sunshine Millions Day on Saturday at Santa Anita. And those are always really, really good betting races to get stuck into. And then on Sunday, we'll have the Sham Stakes. Could well be Bob Baffert v. Bob Baffert. But I think Spun Intended is going to be going in there for trainer Mark Glatt. We'll see Speedboat Beach, Bob thinking he's probably better on the dirt than he is on the turf. And then the Santianes got washed off last weekend, and we'll get to see Justique. It's not all about the boys, guys. Let's talk about some of these fillies, because I firmly believe that the road to the Kentucky Oaks may be the best road to follow if we're thinking Justique, who's your filly, and several others I can't rack off the top of my head. Wonder Wheel. Just... Hey? No Wonder else? Wheel. Oh, yeah, Wonder Wheel. How could I forget Len Green and Wonder Wheel? But right. go to XB TV and take a look at Justique's most recent work on January the 2nd. She's usually a horrible worker. She works like a $20,000 claimer. This is probably an allowance horse working that we saw of late, and she's doing as good as I've ever seen her. She was odds-on to win the Santianes, and I think she is the filly to beat this coming weekend. Yeah, Len Green just called. Your one-hour tax consultation has been... <laughs> nope, not, not available anymore. You're having to pay for it. <laughs> Who's your filly? Hey, yeah. who's your filly? These these three-year-old fillies are, are really going to be worth following. It's it it's it's already shaping up as an interesting road to the oaks. Yeah, so. I think that's gonna be my new segment. I'll talk about the girls and you guys can wax <laughs> lyrical about the boys. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. The XBTV workout of the week is none other. Then Speedboat Beach, seen working here six furlongs in 112 and one. He's done his best running on the turf course, but I think his best running to date is going to be on the dirt course. It looks like he'll go forward in the sham stakes. He's a grade three winner of the Cecil B. DeMille. And we look forward to seeing him in the sham on Sunday. We'll be right back after this message. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. 
The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point Thoroughbreds partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie among people surrounding high-class horses and stakes action for a fraction of the cost of trying to do it on your own, especially in 2022. Learn more at westpointtb.com. Meanwhile, West Point has a cult that has now emerged on the Derby Trail. Jace's Road took the December 26th Gunrunner Stakes at the fairgrounds, and they also have a horse, a horse pointing for the Pegasus Cup Turf. Decorated Invader was second in the Fort Lauderdale Stakes on New Year's Eve. Trainer Christophe Clement said the six-year-old is on track for that race, Jan 28. The Remy cartoon is in for this week, and he has a horse going down the backstretch. No jockey aboard. See the jockey back at the starting line with the cursing and says, have you ever had that feeling that you forgot something back at the starting line? Well, this horse did. He forgot to bring his jockey along with him. Well, that is a wrap on our first show of 2023. I hope you would enjoyed it. I want to thank my cohorts, Randy Moss and Zoe Cabman, our producer, Patty Wolf, our associate producer, Katie Petruniak, our editors, Anthony LaRocca, Aaliyah LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson, and of course, our mascots, Lucy and Doodle. 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 Happy birthday, Bill. Thank you.